comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking X-Men, Days of Future Past. X-Men? X-Men? X-Men! Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction! We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Hola! Out Now is a film podcast, and Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. We have fun covering various movie topics with a main, mostly spoiler-free review, sandwiched right in the middle. This is episode 152. 152. Yeah, we're getting closer to 200. <laughs> yeah, we got to start, start that counter over again now that we're past 150. We're getting closer to 200. <laughs> You're Stop right. By four, just off by 48. Yeah. Um, happy Memorial Day. Uh, happy Memorial Day, everyone. Recording this on the Sunday, but it is, you know, Memorial Day weekend and whatnot. So. Yeah. Hope everyone had a happy Memorial Day, I guess, since it, this will come out on Tuesday. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this 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 episode, we're talking about X-Men Days of Future Past, or X-Men DOFP, as I've been calling it. It's way simpler. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, it helps. It, you know, I, li- I like reducing time. I, I like to be very efficient, and X-Men DOFP. I mean, that's just, that's very helpful to me. Yeah, and Transformers with the four, right? Yeah, I mean, they they, they missed an opportunity by not calling yeah, it Transformers. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, there's, did. there's an emphasis, too. Transformers, that's one thing. Transformers, that's a different thing. But <laughs> Anyway, joining us today, we have two new, two first-time guests on this podcast. Woo! I'm excited Yay. for this. Oh, my God. We have the host of many shows at HHWLOD, including the Longbox of Doom, the Walking Dead TV podcast, the man who can jog fast enough to be called a little more than Slow Silver. It's Russell Latham. How are you? Good. Slow silver. <laughs> little more than slow silver. Little, oh. That's that's probably very appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and we have also the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com and one of the hosts of the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour podcast, currently providing therapy sessions for Colossus, which I wasn't supposed to talk about. No, you just broke confidentiality right there. It's it's Ali Matsu. Hi, everyone. You're ruining his professional credibility. <laughs> <laughs> Excited to be here. Can't wait to talk about this. Good. Glad to have you guys. It's uh, Ru- I've been wanting to get Russ on for a while since he hosts, so he's, you know, he, he's invited us into the HHWLOD network. He has to actually get him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. It's just one of those things where it's always, it always seems to be timing. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but it just worked out uh, this this weekend to do this. So I'm I'm happy to finally be here. 150 uh, plus issues in or episodes in. Yeah, well, glad to have you. And yeah, Lee, it's fun to get you in here too. It's a get the, yeah, the science fiction psychologist. I mean, no, we love having this broad range of guests. Oh yeah, my, well when you when we talked about it and you said, well maybe you can be on for Days of Future Past. I'm like, yes, please. I love time <laughs> travel more. <laughs> I mean, what how, what better way to talk about time travel than having an actual PhD on this podcast to do it? I think that just makes sense to me. So there, there go. we go. So let's uh, with that said, let's move on now. Let's get to some announcement stuff real quick. Not much actually. iTunes reviews and ratings, good to get those. Helps out our show. Helps other people find our show. I will announce winners very soon for our uh, our raffle since we did get so many lovely iTunes reviews in an effort to reach our 150th episode. And uh, yeah, I will I will pick two names out of the big hat 
based off, I guess, iTunes user usernames, and hopefully they'll email and be like, oh yeah, that is my username. Here's my, uh, you know, address, and you'll get a prize. So there you yeah, go. Buzz in, just like the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, iTunes reviews ratings. That's uh, that's it for that. Let's move on. Let's get to know everybody. Where Abe and I both have one question to open to everybody else in the panel, and we get to get to no, know yeah, everybody. Know everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Even Alitra, first time yes, Alitra right on that one. <laughs> I tried, I was a little anxious. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start this one off. If you could send your mind to a younger version of yourself, when and what would you do? Hmm. Oh. I like how I just answered this question before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> My answer wasn't interesting, though. It was just more like, I'd get here faster to do this podcast with her. Yeah, I mean, you would have saved yourself a minute, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's obvious stuff, right? There's the going back and investing in Yahoo or Google or whatever, stuff like that. But I don't know, man. I would be scared to send myself at any point in time because you can have huge, massive effects down the right. down line. Uh, you know, I think I would go back to uh, fourth or fifth grade and I would tell myself that all these things that you love that you think are really geeky and no one else really loves – um, actually, they're really awesome, and just wait about 10, 15 years, and it's just going to explode, and all this stuff is going to be awesome, and there's going to be a ton of movies, and everyone's going to love all this stuff. I think I would do that. Hmm. So you just, like, console yourself. You'd still like Yeah, so yeah. Just, like, hey, no, it's a positive it's, boost. It, it's okay, man. Dude, I would be. I, it would really help with all my, all those middle school years. Those are those are tough. <laughs> yeah, totally. I would it's like myself. Zoe Deschanel in uh, in uh, Almost Famous. One day you'll be cool. Yes, totally. Yeah. I myself don't have a, a a great answer. I guess I'd go back uh, like yesterday and go buy this type of grocery that I didn't get, rather than having to go get it today because I really wanted that grocery. <laughs> I like so, I like how like you need to be like vague about what kind of grocery like who happens. I shouldn't have bought that. Knows, like he wants to get was, broccoli. Like he just needs to say something. Wasn't broccoli. It was this synergy like something kind of tea thing. I was like, this is awful. I shouldn't have bought that. Would have been a real game changer. Kombucha. <laughs> synergy kombucha. I was like, don't get that, Abe. It's on sale. Don't get it. I, I probably would have told myself about three, almost three years ago. To I was at a stop sign. And then went. Um, I would have probably told myself to either wait at that stop sign another 30 seconds or not have stopped so long at the stop sign because I ended up going down down a road early in the morning on my way to work and smacked into a deer. Actually, Ooh. deer smacked into me Ooh. and uh, like didn't cause any harm. Like I wasn't injured or anything, but it but it uh, it smacked up my car pretty good. Uh, so I probably would have just told myself to just kind of like either take a little more time or not take as much time and. Maybe would have passed that up. You have to have some pretty precise memory for that. So, I mean, the conversation would be like, hey, so there's going to be this one stop sign this one <laughs> time. Well, we're going by X-Men logic, so you don't really have to tell yourself anything. You just, you're just in your own head. Oh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I hit right. that stop sign and go, I, I think I'm just going to wait here a little longer. Yeah. I like that. Somebody's telling me to wait here longer. It's probably me. <laughs> it's either, it, either that or a toss-up between when I was like, I guess 16, 17, and I had a buddy of mine that knew somebody that at the local convenience store that, let's say, was a little lenient on the ID side of things, ah. and that maybe it was a it was not a good time for him to go in and try and maybe buy some alcoholic beverages. My dad pulled up right next to us, <laughs> and then and and then yeah, so it's kind of a toss up. I'm not sure how uh, I'm not sure which way I go with that, but. We'd, we'd so like just plug in Wonder Years music right after that one. <laughs> yeah. We also have, to have Daniel Stern speaking over everything. 
it, it, yeah. I think Wonder right. Years was actually on during that time when that when that was. Going on. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, this a question is for everybody as well. Was there a particular X Man, X Woman, X Mutant, whatever that you were that you found quite attractive growing up, reading these comics, buying all these trading cards, what have you? Juggernaut. Juggernaut. <laughs> the like Blob. Super attracted to Juggernaut. The Blob. Got it. Um, I got two. Um, on the male side, um, I, I kind of wanted to be him because I just thought he was suave. I'm gonna go Gambit. Um, that is just a, a sexy man. But in terms of being attracted to, I always had a thing for Psylocke. Same here. Yeah. I'm actually on the Psylocke train as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd go Maddie Pryor. I like that. Yeah. Because huh. Gene was, when I first started reading X-Men, Gene was, was out of the picture. Uh, and so Maddie was kind of the, 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 the surrogate Gene at that point in time, so. Spoilers for X-Men comics. That's kidding. I'm not oh, kidding. Damn. <laughs> Gene died more than once. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. What? Many times. In terms of the actual, the, uh, the male X-Men, I had like a, I was always drawn to like the image of Archangel, like after Worthington changed into Archangel. Something about just like the look of him was like, that's, that's like intriguing. It's like, I want to know more about this character. That said, I've, I've said many times that I'm a Nightcrawler fan through and through, but. Uh, oh, yeah. Like is, is Nightcrawler a good-looking guy, though? I mean, he's. I didn't. I mean, I didn't say. I didn't say that about either of them, actually. But it's just more sure. kind of drawn to the imagery of them. Sure. Uh, yeah. He's got that tail, though. I think that's that. Which some people control. Yeah. He's, he's more. He's a monkey and not a not a uh, <laughs> a um, the other thing. The other kind of monkey. The, the lemur. A baboon. That's what I mean. Baboon. They can't control their tail. Monkeys can. <laughs> Reticulated. Thanks for that, Ranger Aaron. Hey, I learned that in Africa, Abe. Ah, all right. That's uh, I think that I think we've gotten to you know know everybody on that one. So let's uh, let's move on. Yeah. All right. Let's get a little out now, quickies. Yeah. Each week on out now, we talk about one main movie of the week, but we also have other movies that we also see during the week. So we like that little segment called Out Now Quickies. Yeah. That's pretty good. That was pretty pretty spot on. Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I have not seen any other movies this week, but I've been catching up on Parks and Rec, and it's pretty good. Ali, any uh, other movies this week? I did a little uh, time travel marathon, and one of the films I saw was Safety Not Guaranteed. Ooh. Ah. One of Abe's top ten movies of 2012. I think, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> the funny it's, it's 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 really funny and it's it's kind of a wacky take on time travel if, if people haven't seen it it's not necessarily about time travel as it is about this kind of weird town and this guy who claims he puts out this ad on craigslist and hilarity ensues uh so check it out if you haven't seen it i, I love the film it's yeah. become a go-to recommendation for me because it's on netflix streaming yeah that's why i watched it yeah <laughs> Netflix was like, you would really, really like Safety Guaranteed, so you should watch this now. And I was like, okay, all right. How about you, Russ? Any other movies this week? It was a weird movie week for me. I, I actually saw Amazing Spider-Man 2, Godzilla, and uh, X-Men Days of Future Past twice. So it was just kind of a weird... I, w I went to the movies four times in a week, which is like... I, I normally go to the movies a lot in the summer, but four times in a week is kind of unheard of. Summer catch-up. Yeah, yeah. That and I've been... Uh, since Amazon Prime opened up some HBO stuff, I've been uh, I've been catching up on Eastbound and Down. Which Ooh. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another show that Aaron and I enjoy. Yeah, M make sure you wait till the kitties go to bed. Oh my god! Yeah. Yes. Oh, of yeah. course. Oh, Always. Good advice. <laughs> make sure make sure yeah. they're effing out first, and then you can go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um I caught up with the double. 
this uh-huh. is a film from Richard Ayoade of the IT Crowd fame, who's you know since gone on to become a director. He previously did The Submarine, which I think everybody in the world except for Mark Hoban liked, and um, he can't defend himself. It's all right. Uh, but this film, this stars Jesse Eisenberg as himself and as another person, hence it's called The Double, and uh, also Mia Wasikowska is in there. And it's this weird, like, it's based off a Dostoevsky book, which, like, did not surprise me once I realized that. But it has this, it has this, it's, I guess, a comedy, but it's so, like, dark and very borderline nihilistic that it's, like, it's weird to kind of enjoy it as fun. But there is things to enjoy about it. And I think Jesse Eisenberg's very good in a movie where he's required to play a character similar to what Jesse Eisenberg's done in other movies. And a character that's the exact opposite of his own personality. And it has a number of weird turns in it. And if you want to get into it, I'm just going to keep saying weird because that's really the best way to describe it. It's a weird movie. It has a lot in common with kind of some Kafka-esque material mixed with some of the, the dar- of, the, of the darkness that's seen in Coen Brother movies at times and their darker films. And it just it it worked for me to an extent. Not one that I'm probably going to revisit as much as I like to revisit something like Submarine, Iode's uh, previous film, but... Um, I enjoyed it for what it was. That's the double, which I think is in a few theaters now. I know it's on demand. When would you tell people to see that? Because I was interested too, but after hearing that, I'd say it's the kind. I'd say it's the kind of movie that if it gets on streaming, which I assume it will, that you could probably catch it on streaming. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, that's on our cookies. Yeah. Let's move on now. Let's get to our movie trailer talk, where we discuss one of the new movie trailers that came out this week and what we thought of it when it's coming back and what have you. All right, so let's uh, let's uh, do our trailers here. What do we got? We have Kingsman, The Secret Service. This is the new film from director Matthew Vaughn, who previously directed X-Men Day- uh, Days of Future. X-Men <laughs> First Class. Um, he also directed Kick-Ass, which is fitting, because Kingsman, The Secret Service is based off a graphic novel by Mark Millar. Um, and so Matthew Vaughn and his... Uh, screenwriting partner Jane Goldman. They've collaborated to write the screenplay for this film, and Matthew Vaughn's directing. It stars Colin Firth, among others, as this British secret agent who takes in a, a young upstart, one would say, I guess, and uh, trains him to be a part of this very secret, clandestine British secret service thing. And then Samuel L. Jackson's there for some reason as a villain. <laughs> yeah, and, this uh, huge list. Mark Strong's there, not playing. British with playing, was it Scottish, I think I heard? Scottish or something like that? Yeah. Michael Caine's there, because why not? And lots of uh, stylized, action-y stuff ensues. With all that said, Russ, I believe you've read the actual graphic novel. Yeah, I did. Um, and it's not a huge, based on the trailer, it's not a huge departure from the comic, but there are some key elements, it looks like, that are quite a bit different from the comic, from the movie. And I don't think it's going to deter from that. I think it's probably just going to eliminate a lot of side plot for it, but I'm pretty sure Matthew Vaughn actually has writing credit or creation credit on the comic as well. I think that's something him uh-huh. and Miller Miller actually kicked around, and that's where the idea from it came. That's not surprising, given that Matthew Vaughn and Mark Millar seem to have a good friendship together. They both kind of worked kick-ass, to, like that was being written as he was writing the script for that movie. Yeah, yeah, and of course Dave Gibbons did the art. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I really, I really enjoyed the comic. Um, and so if the film is... Is half as good as that. Um, I'm, I'm in, and I've I've had uh, five to one from the doors like stuck in my head ever since that trailer. It's just <laughs> like it's like haunting me. It seems. Ali, thoughts on the uh, trailer? Yeah, you know, I, I um, I'm really looking forward to this film. Actually, I um, I think Aaron, you and I both saw that um, the footage for this at WonderCon a little bit. Yeah. 
and um, I was excited to see what this trailer is going to look like. And it, it just seems like a fun kind of mixture of different genres. I'm not familiar with the source material, but there's a scene where uh, Colin Firth, um, who I love, and I just I want to see him in a kick-ass kind of role. And there's a scene where he's like blocking bullets with this umbrella. And I just love the imagery there, how it's this kind of refined Britishness meets the secret agent mentality. That that looks really exciting to me. So it, I think it'll be a great movie for the fall. Abe? It certainly looks very uh, intriguing and fun. I hope that it is, and I hope that it kind of just goes with uh, a cheeky fun manner rather than maybe some darker undertones or some serious undertones about life and death and poverty in the UK. But uh, it reminds me of that kid in The Incredibles and uh, the one who witnesses Mr. Incredible picking up the car and whatever else because the kid wears his hat like that kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's almost as if like, he grew up and he's like, he went to England for some <laughs> weird reason. And became this vandal. But uh, no, it looks very fun, actually. And um, I'm excited to see this just because of the, the cast and also the, the entire storyline. This is something that I think maybe like, you know, 10, 12 year olds will be like, hey, look, I can be a secret agent. And mm. maybe you can be. It, it's really funny, too, because it if it follows the comic, it definitely doesn't take itself too seriously. And it fully, I think, embraces the fact that it's it's kind of a parody of the Bond of the James Bond genre, but not quite Austin Powers level <laughs> parody. Yeah. You're just kind yeah. of somewhere in between. It's, it's definitely a lot more seriousness to it, but, um, but I like the kid. The kid is really good. Uh, I didn't see Colin Firth as the, um, as the main protagonist based on the comic. I, I didn't see, they definitely have a different look, but mm. I, Colin Firth is a great actor. So I, I think he'll be able to, to pull it off given what he's there to do. I'm um I'm mainly excited about this movie based on Matthew Vaughn directing, and we'll get to yeah what yeah. the uh, we'll get to what the appeal of having a director in charge of a certain comic book movie means later on in the feedback section. <laughs> but I I've liked what Matthew Vaughn's done in this kind of and basically all his actually I've liked all of his movies come to think of it because um, I I'm a big fan of Stardust and love a I really enjoyed Kickass Layer and Cake. I really enjoyed for, yeah Layer Cake as well and uh, First Class of course so. I, I'm, I'm curious to see him continue down this trend where he knows how to both have films that give you characters that you can really like find likable and enjoy it, while also having this kinetic action style to the way he constructs his various action scenes in his movies. Yeah. And it looks like this movie's really taking advantage of that, while it does seem to have kind of a cheeky take on the the comic aspect, which is what right. makes it, that's what it looks like given just the fact that it's Mark Millar who has a who who knows how to either go from either deadly serious or just satirical, and he certainly likes to lean on satirical a lot. I have not read the comic yet. I'll probably will at some point. I, I might even have it. I <laughs> bought it like a while ago and just <laughs> forgot. Um, actually, no, I have another. I have another one. That's um, what is it called? Brilliant. Not brilliant. If I had to I can't, um, like, see it. <laughs> superior. Superior is it? Yes, superior. Yeah. That's the one. Oh yeah, yeah. Lionel, you. Yeah, that one's very good too. I like Superior's that. Superior's great. Yeah. And uh, I, I look. What, what I'm very happy with is that Kingsman: The Secret Service. Is it called just Secret Service? Isn't that the book title? It's, it... Yeah, the comic is just is just the Secret Service. Okay. But I, I guess they were probably thinking that it might tie into like White House Down too much or something like that. So like, what's going yeah, on? I think they, yeah. yeah, the connotation to that might might make people believe it's about people guarding the president, which yeah. is yeah. very much not the case. Yeah. But uh, with that said, I, I think this looks like a step up from the last uh, Mark or one of the other Mark Millar treatments of Wanted, which is completely different from the comic, mm. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. which I can see why. But at the same time, that movie is still kind of different. But with all that said, uh, Kingsman hits theaters October 24th uh, this this fall. So with that out of the way, 
Let's, uh, you know, I'm just going to bring this up because we were going to originally talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, but Abe and I have already talked about that, your first trailer. And I feel like, I, I don't think I'm, I don't think any of us are any less convinced to see this movie, which is why no. I didn't really <laughs> see a need to talk about the trailer again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there's that. Let's move on. Let's uh, get to our main film review for X-Men Days of Future Past. Mutants, we now find ourselves on the edge of extinction. You'll need to go into the past to end this war before it ever begins. together it's going to take the two of us side by side at the time when we couldn't be further apart all right so that should have been some of the trailer for x-men days of future past this is the enduring superhero movie franchise with days of future past serving as the seventh entry in the x-men franchise uh this time Along with director Brian Singer, the whole gang is back, and this time they are fighting for a peaceful future as a plan is hatched by the older versions of Magneto and Professor X to send Wolverine back to the past where he can stop certain events from taking place by helping to mend the friendship between Charles and Eric at a younger age. He'll have to do his best to keep the worst from happening before the mutant-killing robot sentinels, hashtag drones, are launched and bring on a dark future for mutant kind. Ali, you're pro-mutant. Were you pro this film? Oh, I was so pro this film, so incredibly pro this film. And, you know, it uh, just coming off the heels of Godzilla, where I really enjoyed the action but really wasn't invested in many of the characters, this film felt so the opposite, where I cared about the characters so much. And the action was, was you know, mixed. It, it was okay for the most part. Um, but I, I loved, loved Days of Future Past. Russ? Oh, yeah. All, I'm all in. I mean, to me, this is... I think X2 is the perfect X-Men movie and one of the most perfect superhero movies in general. And this may replace that. I really need to go back and watch X2 and just see how it holds up as compared to Days of Future Past since I've, I've seen it twice at this point. Um, but to me, it was just pitch perfect. Um, this is the second, my second favorite comic storyline of all time. So the fact that they were able to do it, to make changes to it, and it still be in my, in my mind pitch perfect, I thought was was outstanding. Abe? I had a very good time with this movie. Uh, I thought it was very good, not great. Um, I enjoyed it immensely, but I didn't think, I, I wasn't walking out of the theater constantly thinking about it and um, kind of picking out scenes here and there that I really enjoyed, um, almost like I did with Captain America 2. I, I did enjoy this a lot, don't get me wrong, and it's one of the situations where I found the, the old school Charles Xavier and Magneto back in the 70s storyline to be very good and I'm glad that they picked that that back up um it's almost as if Matthew Vaughn was like hey guys uh, let me just drag these scenes here um so I enjoyed that tension and I enjoyed that uh differing viewpoints there um the other person I really liked was uh can we say Quicksilver yeah yeah okay. why would you not be able to say Quicksilver <laughs> I, I don't know I mean, some people are holding his secret I guess I don't know uh but he's, the, he's the one that people keep naming is the best part of the movie <laughs> yeah. pretty prominent in the trailers too so yeah, he has his own like little mini trailer. The internet yeah. freaked out because he looked a certain <laughs> way, and God help us if someone looks one way. <laughs> what? Uh, but no, I enjoyed Quicksilver's character, and I enjoyed the uh, the action by Peter Dinklage as Doctor Trask. Uh, 
But uh, there are a few things that kind of were Brian Singer-ish in uh, and X Men Three that kind of uh, um, neither of two are involved with each other. But okay, <laughs> right? Yeah, I know because uh, he didn't direct X Men Three, but it kind of felt that that quick X Men Three rush job um, for some scenes, uh, and then. Uh, but for the most part, I did enjoy it. Again, I just wasn't super uh, onto it. It's funny because like I thought I was going to be like three on one again, like last week, where I think Godzilla is fantastic and you guys were all against me. Not against me, but I mean, <laughs> I think this week <laughs> we're never against you, buddy. No, I know. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm with Abe actually. I, I like this film. I think it's very good. I think it's very entertaining. It's a very good summer movie. It's a very good X Men movie. That said, I think because I've been I've almost exhausted myself trying to figure out why I didn't love this movie in the same way that a lot of people I know and respect have loved this movie. And while I, I think it's certainly a, a, a tremendous effort given taking a story like this and making it coherent, given all the mutants in there, I think the most surprising thing actually is that my biggest like worry was that this one was going to be overcrowded and not be able to balance everything. And that wasn't my issue at all. I think it did a tremendous job of actually handling this 20 plus mutant cast and still having a very focused story that tells a st- tells a plot that's easy to comprehend and figure out, given that there's two timelines, time travel, various villains, different allegiances. Like, there's all these things that could have easily made a kind of disaster, but it didn't. I think it's it's told very well. I think I got, like, the, what's going on was never confused by that. My issue comes from... I don't even want to say continuity anymore. I think because I have like I have I have, I have issues to pick out about continuity, but it feels like it's nitpicking. I don't think it is nitpicking, but I feel like it comes close to nitpicking. I think where that stems from, though, is the fact that watching this movie made me feel like I was watching other X-Men movies again. I, I don't feel like I got much new. I think that's what I'm kind of and because of that, my mind was kind of drifting to like, well, what's else? What else is going on? And while I appreciate a lot of the action and a lot of the acting, I think James McAvoy in particular, and you know how much I love Michael Fassbender, but I think McAvoy was the MVP of this movie. I think he was killing it. Uh, and that said, Hugh Jackman's really good, too. But I feel like I'm getting the same kind of, uh, you know, pe- some people hate mutants uh, versus like, hey, we should all get along kind of plot lines, which I've gotten before. And there's less kind of messaging going on. Like if X2, you have the kind of coming out story going on there, hidden in the background. And first X-Men, you have a Holocaust metaphor going on. This one feels like kind of took that down just to have a very, like very plot heavy. Let's keep moving, keep moving, keep moving storyline. And that something about that just rubbed me away where I'm like, all right, that's, that's fun. This is fun. This is a fun movie, but what else? That's well, Aaron, I got to agree with you. As a guy who loved this film and wants to go see it again and again, I, I really agree with you with the continuity. It's, it, it's, it's just not there. It's, it blatantly ignores certain things that have happened. For example, X3, spoiler alert for X3 if you haven't seen it, but, you know, uh, Char- Professor X is killed in that film and how he somehow came back in the stinger at the end of the Wolverine and now he's here and there's no explanation of that. There's also no explanation of what happened to Wolverine's adamantium skeleton, which mm. is gone in the Wolverine and then back in here. Spoiler, I guess, Wolverine I've, has I've, his I've got adamantium. a couple. I've got a couple theories for that. For the for the Xavier one, so at the end of, of X3... Um, the very end. The very end. You hear him um, him say something to Moira in that in that guy that's... This guy's like comatose. He's still alive, but he's basically comatose or his, right. his mind is shot. Yeah. So somehow yeah. Xavier, it's implied he put his consciousness into in that. So my theory, there's two theories. One is... He's convincing everybody that he looks like Patrick Stewart, even though he really doesn't look like Patrick Stewart. Or 
somehow Moira was able to do some kind of gene genetic therapies or something like that, that, that basically made him look like Xavier, which is a bit of a stretch, but mm. I, I, I think that could be, that could be explained away. The Wolverine thing, only his claws were, yeah. were, were whacked. So once he grew the bone, I, I just look at it simply as, you know, was able to just kind of thin out the rest of the abmanium in his body and stretch it out back over his claws. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's more, that makes of, sense. That's more of like a, there's time in between. So like, an, I can, I can give that one up. That's fine to me. Like, it's just like, we're not going to address it, but whatever. The, no, I, I I like I like that first explanation. Yeah, or that some Professor, other type of metal that isn't admin. It's kind of an awesome idea that Professor X is just like mind controlling everyone into believing he looks like Patrick Stewart when I, he's like that other dude. I definitely like that. I don't want to get too hung up on these like tiny things. <laughs> this whole story that we're talking it's about. It's possible. But he's a very strong he's, telepath. The last thing I want to say about the continuity because I really don't think there's much to go on after this after continuity. But the last thing I want to say is. I feel like I could be so, like, assaged, I could be so calmed down if just there was one line where, like, Professor X is like, we've made a lot of sacrifices, I've made the ultimate one to be, like, just something like that, where it's like, oh, mm. alright, like, no, we don't need, like, sure. super heavy plot, but, like, something. I mean, it's just, like, my, I, I think that my main issue is that because I know so many people hate X3, and I feel like I'm so, like, generous to the X-Men franchise, where I don't hate X3 or Wolverine Origins, for that matter. I, I think they're they're fine. They're not good. Move, they're not great. But, like, I don't <laughs> I don't hate them in the same way. But there's, like, this, like, public trick that's happened where they're able to just discount them, and everyone's like, yeah, whatever, because we didn't like that movie, so who cares? <laughs> and it's like, that seems like cheating to me, but right. moving past this, <laughs> the continuity, whatever. Um, there are, I mean, X3, like, there's, or X, Doth, there are, you know, it, weird, it, whatever issues aside, this, there's a lot of very good stuff in this movie. I think, like, let's talk about the Sentinels. I think the Sentinels are terrifying. I feel like if I was a seven-year-old yes. watching an X-Men movie, I'd be having nightmares because of these Sentinels. Yeah, I especially like the design of the uh, the the new Sentinels. The Sentinels. I, I mean, yeah, the future Sentinels, and I, I, I especially like what they did with the characterization of uh, you know some of the powers that those those folks have. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a neat idea, and then. We, even when they showed the regular Sentinels, I was like, yeah, that kind of fits what I would think a Sentinel would look like back in uh, good old 2000 and, or 1970 or something, even though that technology seemed quite <laughs> quite beyond the, <laughs> the technology of 1978 or 68. 73. 73, 73. yeah, thanks. I but, want you to fish around for a date for a while, but I'll give it to you. Yeah. No, but one, of the, I, I one of the cool things with that, though, is they really tied it in. I, I guess this isn't really a spoiler because you can kind of tell it from looking at it. But he, Trask even mentions that this is based on Harrier jump jet technology, which, you know, very much at that time was a, was a valid, um, you know, piece of military hardware. So the fact that they were able to, um, you know, kind of basically take that design and, and, and replace it into these robots to make it so they could have, you know, vertical takeoff and landing and, you know, things like that, I thought was kind of a cool retro, uh, you know, option for, for it. Sure. I agree. No, uh, the the future Sentinels really were well done, and you know, going back to the source material, the the original comic, um, I never really bought the idea that the Sentinels um, persist into 2013. I think is yeah, exactly, is the future yeah. time, uh -huh. and they don't change at all. They don't really evolve, and that's one of the nice changes I really enjoyed in in the film, where the Sentinels have evolved and they have this advanced technology, and um, they they're such a great counterpoint. Um, to the mutants um that that whole first sequence um and how you those the reveal of these new sentinels was really well done 
For sure. Like it just, and that's just, you know, there's like three of them. Like later on right. in the film, we obviously get a bigger battle involving Sentinels. Not too much, which I like. I like that this movie doesn't focus on having like epic battles in the yes. same way. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in the same way that X3, which is the second shortest X-Men movie, has like a giant battle at the end that just means like people are jumping around and there's here uh, needles flying at right. <laughs> this, this movie, like, it does a very good job of kind of balancing like, there's some dark stuff here, but let's stay in this other timeline where there's just people talking to each other. Like, it does a good job of, like, balancing yeah. that out. But at the same time, yes, I mean, in the beginning, you just see, like, three of these things, and they're, like, unstoppable. Like, you can't, you can't like, they, they adapt. They, they're, like, they're, like, the best kind of AI in a video game that you never want to face. Like, it's just horrible. Yeah. They, but, they're kind of, uh, they're a little bit taken from the Nimrod Sentinels that that's were... What I was thinking, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, a little bit, not 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 much, but it but it kind of pulled from that, you know, almost unstoppable, unbeatable, um, you know, can't kill it the same way twice kind of thing. And so they incorporated that in those future Sentinels. And I thought it worked really, really well. What also worked with those Sentinels is showing us see mutants fighting them. I liked yes. say, like as much as I and I've talked about how I I was very happy that this movie didn't feel overcrowded, but at the same time. I did like seeing all these different mutants using their powers and going, having a good way of showing off what they're capable of without us having to focus on who's this guy? Who's it? It's just like, here it is. Here's this stuff. And it looks cool. And it's like well established without having to deal too much into it. I think, I think it definitely learned from the Avengers and how Josh Whedon was able to tell a good story of how these heroes use their powers and abilities together. And X, the previous X-Men films haven't really done a great job of that. Um, and here we see a fantastic example of how, um, you know, you don't even know who Bishop is. This is the first time we're seeing him. But you understand how his powers work just by um, how they're shown on screen. And there's a lot of show, not tell. And I, I just really liked all that teamwork and the, the abilities coming together to fight the Sentinels. That was really well done. See, I, I would- I would argue that X2 does a good job of kind of showing us without telling us too much. Hers class, one of my issues is the yeah. fact that they are telling us a lot of like, here's, yeah. this is what your power is, and this is why this yeah. is your name, that kind of thing, even yes. though I still like that movie. But yeah, yeah. I, I would agree that it does, it does a fine, it does a fine job of giving you what you need to know visually, which is like something I think Brian Singer has been able to do without, throughout the series. I mean, it, X, X1's not the best X-Men movie, but I mean, right. it, I, I feel like his direction has always been pretty consistent in these movies, regardless of like how good the script is or how good some of the performance, whatever. I feel like having him back this time around, and the fact that he's you know learned a lot since 2003 when X2 came out, like it's it's showing a lot of his best abilities as an action director and a visual storyteller. You can yeah. you could tell that's one of the things right off uh, up front is this is a Brian Singer X Men film. I mean, it goes it, it's almost like it's in your face that this is not. And, and not that there's a problem with Matthew Vaughn directing, but I think it was I think it was to kind of get away from um, you know from from X3. Um, it made it feel it made it feel like it was tying back into a franchise that that had yeah. you know had, had lost its kind of its, its figurehead so to speak. Yeah, yeah, because we kind of get the opening monologue and then we get the you know the credits and the music. The and he brought sequence, John yeah. John Ottman back for the score, so it's like boom. Yes, this is Brian Singer's. Act. That is something I like would praise the most actually the fact that John Ottman's involved because he's the editor as well as the movie, and I think the editing fantastic. of the movie is fantastic. I think yeah, it's, it is I, very it's fantastic. Good. Again, I I love that it doesn't go to because the dark, the future stuff is dark. Like, the beginning of this movie has bodies being, like, dropped into, like, a pile. Like, it's dark right. stuff. But the movie doesn't focus too – it's not too angsty, and it doesn't feel too earnest. It has a lot of fun, actually. There's a lot of sense – there's a lot of good sense of humor in here. There's a lot of – not. it's not jokey, but there's a lot of, you know, one-liners and things that make you remember that you're watching a comic book movie and not just, like, a movie about people that are going to die eventually. So. 
Well, and, and the example of John uh, John Ottman is a great one about how this film is able to weave together the whole franchise. And I think the from the score um, and how that ties back into uh, the original X-Men, the Brian Singer X-Men films, but then also the, the allusions, the references to not only the original X-Men trilogy, but the Wolverine spinoffs and, and as well as First Class. It felt like this movie really exists um, within all those larger stories and then somehow weaves together that whole tapestry um it it was it it felt very cohesive to me it touched it touched everything i mean and that was a surprise to me i really didn't think they were going to put the time effort and energy into and, and they didn't belabor it but there were there were times where it's like yes this touched every movie that came before it and I, I yeah, and I agree with that to a point because I've already pointed out the continuities that we don't need to get into. But I, yes. I do like that. Basically, the best way to think of it is that this movie serves as a sequel to First Class, which it really is. Mm-hmm. And it just it's picking and choosing from things that happen to also come before it, which is a bit of a cheat, maybe. But at the same time, I it is a movie that's very coherent in what story it's trying to tell. It's just a matter of trying to shelve away certain issues that some super fans may have. And I wouldn't even say I'm a super fan, but I'm just one that you know doesn't easily forget certain things that happens. But with that said, I mean, it, I was very happy that I was able to tell this story, which is, you know, one of the best X-Men comic stories, you know, ever created and make it work. Yeah. Well, one of the questions that comes up with that then is, uh, you know, I, uh, does the movie need to work on its own or does it need to work in the larger franchise? Because I think if you look at this movie on its own and you maybe are a casual fan, know a little bit about these characters, but haven't been following every single release, uh, I think it works and the continuity errors aren't really a big deal. I but agree. if you ha- if you have been too. a super, yeah, but but if you are a super fan, <laughs> um, the continuity continuity errors become a larger problem. And you know what, X Men is sort of like, yeah, whatever, we will pick and choose. Um, but you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the continuity there, film to film, is really flawless. So uh, how much does this does the Days of Future Past need to exist on its own? Which is a tricky place to be in, just because. This is a franchise that started in 2000, and they have no idea where it's going at that point. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, as much as they might be continuing to map things out and not have everything exactly planned out, they at least have a good structure and idea of where things could be going. So you have to give – I can understand the leeway one might have to give because certain movies did things a certain way, but that's not the way we need to take it for the future, which is – which could also cause issue just because – this movie does feel like a setup for further sequels rather than kind of a closed off narrative necessarily. So I, there's a lot of give and take, I guess, when it comes to how do, you, how do you respect a franchise for the X-Men franchise? I also, I always felt as though they have always been able to leave that door open for more of them. Um, it's never really a, a closed door, closed movie, single uh, one. It's, it's one of the situations where I'm fine with that. It's just for all the super fans. It, it kind of just, I think, even in the first X-Men back in 2001? 2000. 2000. Um, you know, if you were a super fan and you're just like, man, these characters, they're too young or whatever else, maybe you already lost them then. But for this one, this one is, I feel as though it is a pretty good standalone movie. And does it open the door? Sure. But at the same time, it could just be that and it's done. I mean, obviously there uh, could be a Magneto spinoff and I'm sure that there will be. Um, but for the most part, I think it's pretty fine as it is. You know, here's a thought I've been kicking around in my head um, since I saw this film. Um, and, and this is one of my more kind of, um, mm, 
Well, I'll, I'll just throw it out there and see what you guys think. It, does this film pretty much just exist in some ways to relaunch the franchise, to uh, to gloss over some of the mistakes, uh, some of the perceived mistakes of the past? And I mean, is it kind of like a 2009 Star Trek where the the film kind of kind of washes everything clean and says, all right, here we go. We're kind of setting the stage for the future. We're going to reintroduce the X-Men into this world where, um, you know, they haven't been as, the films haven't been as successful as we liked. Is it kind of one of those things? No, that's, that is part of, that is part of my issue. I mean, that's, that's what I do think it is at the end of the, or not like is entire, it's not, I don't, I wouldn't say it's, it's entire goal for a film that is, you know, tying a lot of things together and making a story work. I don't think that's, you know, exactly the the end goal in mind. There's a lot of, you know, characters that have arcs and redemptions and things like that. But I mean, it's at the end at the end of this film, I do think that along with telling a good story, it also serves as a way to be like, also, by the way, we can go any direction we want to now because we hit a giant reset button. Yeah, I agree, and I'm I'm really okay with that. I, I agree. I, think, I agree with that part. Yes, I do. I do. I I mean, if we get different stories from there, then yeah, okay. Yeah, I I think really. I kind of took it too as as Singer just really had issue with and, and for the most part this really in my mind is meant to kind of wipe the slate clean of X three. I mean I think Ratner just really wasn't the the best choice and I think I, I think it just it just went sideways in a lot of different for a lot of different reasons and I think this is just his way to say you know like you said we can hit a reset button we can kind of put things in in the right direction I could maybe fix some mistakes that he and that Singer himself made. Um, and just kind of put this franchise on a different path moving forward. A darker path? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> An <laughs> mean, apocalyptic path? Spoilers. I mean, <laughs> Maybe so. Spoilers. Things get happier. <laughs> spoilers. Yeah. This movie doesn't end with as it begins with, bo- with piles of bodies yeah. being put into a ditch somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about some of these performances, um, because I think there's quite a few of them that are worth yeah. mentioning. Um, and I want to start with the one that I had the most issue with last time around, and it's Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I, mm. um, in first class, as much as I like Jennifer Lawrence as an actor, um, I, uh, I wasn't fond of her mystique before. I've visited it several times, and every time, like, I don't think Jennifer Lawrence has given it all that she got, given that she's, you know, a two-time Academy Award nominee. This time around, I thought she was better. I, uh, I, and given that she, you know, is more of a core heart of this story that's being told. It makes a lot of sense that she's, which I may, it might come with the fact that she's, you know, way more popular. So it's like, we should incorporate more mystique in this movie. But I, I certainly think she did a good job uh, this time around. From the get go, I've never really been a huge mystique fan. I've never really followed along in that storyline and from her villain days to her X-Men days and whatever else. So I, I'm just never, that character just never engaged me, so it was never one of the situations where I was like, wow, Rebecca Romaine Stamos is Mystique, this is amazing, or like, Jennifer Lawrence is Mystique, this is amazing, more just like, eh, I don't really care. It's funny, you because we talk on the on the commentary that we've done for out now, mm-hmm. which is available on iTunes. Um, we talk. I, I brought up how I think Rebecca Romaine is very underrated as as far as her acting goes for that character. Yeah. I can't especially say that, next two. Yes, because yeah. she's getting stuff done in next two. Yes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I can agree that like Mystique's not like a character. That I'm like, man, what's going on with Mystique in the comics right now? <laughs> but in, in these movies, like as many characters they have, Mystique's always one that stands out to me. Where I think Rebecca Romaine. 
I mean, she does a really good job with that with that role, and I I would say that I like her performance as Mystique better than I have Jennifer Lawrence in these movies. Well, I think Jennifer Lawrence had a lot more to do in this film than than First Class, and you know, I I think she did a nice job of playing this midpoint between uh, the the younger Professor X and the younger Magneto, and it's um it's nice not to have so many mutants here and to give Mystique a little bit more to do. Um, and so I, I really liked her in, in this. Um, it, it's sometimes it's hard to see uh, to see Jennifer Lawrence and not see Jennifer Lawrence. And there was a lot more out of blue mode for in this mm. film. But yeah. um, I, I thought I thought they they figured out a little bit more about how to make Mystique work in Days of Future Past. When it and it was natural too because you know you could you could argue the point that oh the the only reason she has a bigger role is because. You know, like you said, she's two-time Academy Award nominee. She's much more popular. But if you go back to the source material, uh, you know, they kind of went down the Senator Kelly path in the first X-Men movie. So they they kind of they kind of you know burn that burn that one already. Um, but if you look back at the source material, I mean, Mystique is the main protagonist of of that whole story. I mean, in the in in the original story, I mean, it was her. Uh, yes, I'm sorry, yeah, antagonist. Yeah. Um, it was her and the Brotherhood that killed Kelly that started the whole thing, you know, going sideways. So they they very much incorporated her still as kind of being a major player in the events that needed to be stopped in this movie. So uh, it, I think it kind of served two purposes. A, they, they they got you know to to take advantage of the fact that I think Jennifer Lawrence's star is on the rise. I think her her acting ability has improved, you know. Even since first class, I mean, just in the stuff she's been in, I think she's yeah. she's elevated herself. Um, you know, so they they kind of get they kind of get a double a double bonus out of mm-hmm. out of her role in this movie. As far as the comic go, and it's not I'm never one to hold a movie back based on what the comic does differently. I was actually very impressed in how many ways they were able to tie this to the actual source material. Yeah. In terms yeah. of yes. like, I I'd, I'd be you'd have you'd have to be like a real buzzkill to want to like say everything that they did wrong in this movie versus what the comic did because you just can't do all these things like you can't yeah. you can't have Kitty yeah. Pryde be the one that goes back you can't have Mystique be against Senator Kelly you can't have a lot of things that happen based on how these movies have formed so the fact that you can give Wolverine gray hair though you can apparently <laughs> and that was awesome I liked it I liked so, uh, yeah I was very I was very happy with the way they were able to tie in various references to the actual source which is you know only two issues like it's not a lot but it's good yeah and like you were saying, Aaron, in the beginning, you know, you're seeing, you know, this dystopia, this, you know, the pile of dead bodies, the narration, uh, you know, again, a lot of parallel to Singer's first X-Men, where it started with, you know, the the young Eric Langsher, you know, as a part of, you know, taking part of the of, of the Holocaust. So to me, I see a lot of, of similarity between there are a lot of callbacks in, in Days of Future Past to the first X-Men movie. I mean, a lot of Magneto-isms were direct callbacks to things that happened in the first X-Men movie, which I thought were really cool. And speaking of Magneto, Michael Fassbender, once again, quite good. good. (laughs) Oh, man, even better. And, like, I don't want to spoil things, but let's just say he is just downright diabolical with his plans in this movie, the way the the, the, the steps he takes to get to a certain point. Yeah, I actually liked the way that they set it up because, uh, you know, it's it's the whole entire thing where they have to do some stuff in the past to make sure that the, the future doesn't go all crazy. Um, I kind of didn't really, I have never rather, I've never read the source material, so I didn't know that, you know, maybe some events happened in the, the comic books the same way that they happened here, where 
Uh, Magneto all of a sudden has his own course of actions that he wants to take because... Like I say in the comics, there's no Magneto, there's no Professor X, yeah. there's no Cyclops, no. there's no... Gotcha. There's Wolverine's never in the past. Like, there's no, like, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of... So, yeah. yeah, but I enjoyed the part where it's just like, hey, look, let's go, we gotta go talk to Mystique. And it's all of a sudden, like, surprise, I got a different idea. And uh, I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Pretty neat here, guys. Get a job. But Fastbender, that guy is just... Lights out, dude. Uh, again, I love the tension yeah. scenes between he and... and um, Professor Xavier on the plane when they're talking about both their sides, and um, I just I'm glad that it carried over a lot. How did you lose them? The treatment for my spine affects my DNA. You sacrificed your power so you could walk. What do you know about it? I've lost my fair share. Huh. Dry your eyes, Eric. It doesn't justify what you've done. You've no idea what I've done. I know that you took the things that mean the most to me. Well, maybe you should have fought harder for them. If you want to fight, Eric, I will give you a fight! Let him come. You abandoned me! You took her away and you abandoned me! Angel. Azazel. Emma. Banshee. We were supposed to protect them! Eric, where were you, Charles? You abandoned us all. Those two were probably my second favorites uh, after Peter Dinklage. So why did you like Dinklage so much? Because I kind of had issue with him. I thought he was fine for what he's doing, yeah. but he didn't have much arc beyond, like, I just hate mutants, guys. Like, no, no, yeah, it, rid of mutants. Not, not so much his character, but, I mean, he is an actor. I just like the way that he expressed things on his face, um, especially when, when he went... There was, like, one scene where he didn't have to say anything. He just had to, to emote uh, just, like, this look of confusion and... Uh, I don't know. I just liked his uh, his acting in this movie. Well, that's fair. I mean, he's a good actor. That's, that's, yes. that's why yeah. people, just, like, people, people just want him to, you know, not get in trouble anymore in Game right. of Thrones, because they're like, don't put this him into, ja- into danger. Like, we like him. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like, in terms of, like, having a crucial villain goes, like, he's fine. It's just there wasn't yeah. much to him, which kind of led me to be just a little bit disappointed in his role. <laughs> well, I mean... The thing I liked about Trask and, and Peter Dinklage in this mm-hmm. in this role is, you know, I, I understood where he's coming from. And I know, Aaron, you were kind of mentioning, you know, X-Men's been here, done that before. And we understand you can you understand the humanity, mutant, uh, in-group, out-group kind of stuff and where Professor X is kind of in the middle of all of that. But um, I, I didn't see him as a pure black and white kind of horrible villain. I, I, I could get where he's coming from um the idea of survival that that scene where he's talking there is a scene where he's talking about neanderthals and humans and uh what led to their extinction and comparing that with the situation with mutants i just love how he did that scene it came across in a very um very empathetic kind of way i can i can agree with that to a point i guess it's more of as much as sometimes it's great to have less is more, I just kind of wanted more. I wanted more of what, like, he's, I can't say that the movie, like, I can't say that they chose him because he is a, you know, a little person, and it's like, hey, that's, like, interesting, but it's just because Peter Dinklage is a great actor, that's why he chose him for this role, but mm-hmm. if you have Peter Dinklage in this kind of role, it seems like you can make some kind of something in the in a screenplay or in what's needed for the performance to provide more of, like, a why I have a a need to do this thing that I don't think was delved into enough. I yeah, I, I agree. I, with I agree with that. Yeah, and it's it's funny because if you look back at X2, they very much did that with Brian Cox. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yes. Stryker's you, you very much got William Stryker's motivation, mm-hmm. um, which again kind of played with that whole God loves man kills you know thing from from the comics. But I, I agree. I felt like his motivation was a little slim. 
And the only redemption he had with that is just there was that that monologue he had where he said, you know, the one guy says, well, you really hate mutants. And he mm-hmm. said, no, I, I actually, you know, admire them or, you know, he, he understood. But he just took it as this is a survival of our species. Like, you know, it, it's kind of proven evolutionary fact that the next, you know, the next leap is the one that replaces the one before it. So, yeah. And I think that's why I that was enough for me. Um, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, you know. And again, yeah, this is, you know, it's an over two hour plus movie. There's tons of characters to keep track of. I get that you can't do everything. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, deleted. I know there's deleted scenes of Rogue. There has to be. Like, yeah. there, I, she's, I, there's a whole section. Yeah, there's like, there's Anna Paquin. Yeah. Who, who's like, I think, like seventh build in this movie. Right. <laughs> but, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you see her like, what? Ten seconds. Like a second. If that. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, Michael Fassbender, great monologue when the camera's on him there. I love that monologue. Yeah. I've just shown you a glimpse mm-hmm. of what I could do. It's like, yeah. A lot of Nixon in this movie. A lot of Nixon. Between, between, between this movie, Watchmen, and uh, Lee Daniels, Lee Daniels, The Butler, we've got a lot of Nixon in recent years. <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking about the, the Watchmen Nixon, and I like that Nixon so much better than this one. I agree. I agree. I thought it was more, because that movie has more of a satirical edge to it, so you're allowed to play yeah. with Nixon more, I think. This movie wanted to take him more seriously, even though you had his three dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, there was so many fun little historic references in this movie, in terms of, like, what time of what time period it was set in beyond just like the aesthetics obviously but like nixon turning off the yeah the tape recorder being turned off oh that was great the references to jfk and things like there's just a lot of things like that it's like ah that's that's fun jfk thing was semi-ridiculous when i heard it and i was like "Eh, okay guys good job i like well i like when they double backed on it 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 was there was more to it than we were led to to begin with i like that aspect and the the why of it which which entertained me yeah (laughs) But the, you know, the, you guys are talking about Fassbender and James McAvoy. His his rapport with Fassbender um, is just it was probably the best part of First Class, and it's it's nice yeah. to see that taken forward and and um, and continued. And I, I think that the airplane scene is the one that best captures that dynamic. And I, I just really love seeing the two of them together. They 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 kind of they're keeping um, that same relationship that Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen had from the originals moving forward. And you know, part of me, you guys know how Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen have just been going around New York and kind of taking all oh, these fun buddies. Movies. Yeah. They're so yeah. they're besties. Yeah. I want to see James McAvoy and Fassbender sort of parody <laughs> that and do <laughs> the same awesome. thing. They're all, yeah, that'd be great if you saw doing Instagram pictures at the same time. Um, they got to do it. They're certainly friends, though. I mean, you see, there's a lot of interviews that feature both of them together. Yeah. And you certainly see that they're clearly friends with each other. They clearly like being, you know, have, being in, in each other's company. You can tell. You can see. I mean, that chemistry registers on screen, despite the fact you see that it on obviously, obviously, they're you know against or you know at a po- opposition to at each odds, other. Right. At, thank you. At odds with each other. But I mean, it's there. You can see why they work well together. Like it. Can I just bring up my little nitpick with Professor X here? Go for sure. it. Um, so there's a thing that happens in the movie that, in some ways, depowers Professor X, and it's pretty stupid. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't want to get into it too much with with spoilers, but you know, the, the X Men movies haven't really figured out how to have a non-depowered Professor X in the film and this film did a the explanation for it just i didn't buy it at all it was a little contrived i think but i i guess if you look at the core of it maybe it has ties to x3 a a little bit you know maybe maybe that's the road they went down but um 
I, I kind of got that they had to do something to kind of forward the plot along those lines, but I agree. I, I, I took it. It was kind of, it was somewhat contrived. I, I agree with that too. It's just more of, I think James McAvoy is so strong in this movie that it made up for it to an extent. Like it, you're dealing with, a, you're dealing with an addiction plot line, which we've seen many times yeah. before. And it's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> well, he's really selling this idea that, that he's kind of been, because at this point, we're in 1973, we're kind of pushed past the Vietnam War, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ideas there that I think are actually pretty clever. Where you have him at this point, where a lot of his students and people have been have been drafted, and he's lost a lot right. of things, and he's seen some harsh times mixed with you know what I assume is some liberal drug using during the time period, where it's like <laughs> huh, I can I can see him being in Lieutenant Dan mode, trying to cope with this <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, for me, for Professor Xavier's little uh, thing there. I kind of just went with it primarily because there are so many other things that I have come to kind of have to grow with based on the movie's uh, understanding of the, the X-Men universe. So I was like, fine, whatever. So it kind of just escaped me. But I do agree that James McAvoy, his performance is strong enough just for me to just kind of go with it as well. Uh, so No, and it, it's, I had a lot of those moments, kind of getting back at what Aaron said about the, the continuity stuff. Like There was moments where I was like, oh, well, that's kind of stupid, but I just kind of turned off that part of my brain, and I was like, but I love X-Men. I will continue watching this movie. So, yeah, it didn't bother me that much, but it's this whole idea that he takes some drug that restores part of his nervous system but shuts down the other part of it. That just, you know, that's not how our body works. But, but you know, that's okay. Well, Still loved it. It said it changed his DNA. Like, he, like after taking that, he's no longer registered as a mutant. Like, it, it, it turned off that, that whole genome is the way I took it. So it, 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 it didn't just, like, fix one thing and break something else. It, it's the kind it, of it, comic booky thing that you have to just kind of yeah. accept. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, highly contrived. But, same with, yeah. like... Jean Grey died? Same with, like, yeah, right. Yeah. Same, same, yeah, with exactly. like, uh, same with, like, Beast. Nice. There's a lot of Beast in this movie, by the way. A lot of Nicholas Hall yes. doing these Beast. Nicholas Hall, yeah. yeah. He's oh, like, yeah, hey, if Taylor's going to be in this, I'm going to be in this. <laughs> if there's one nit I had to pick with the, pre- with the 73 era stuff, mm-hmm. is that for a movie that kind of billed itself as having a ton of characters and, and fear that it was going to be overcrowded, I thought the, the 73 stuff was pretty lean. Like, there weren't, I, I think it could have used maybe another one or two characters persistently to, uh, you know, to, to kind of give it a little more depth. But, but then I guess, too, the argument could be made that it may, it may have kind of detracted from the tight story they were trying to tell, but it, it just seemed like for the for the future side of it that was just like chock full of of mutants and a lot of cool power manifestation. The seventy three stuff was, I, I mean, it, there was one scene in there that kind of packed a, a little bit, um, but the rest of it, it was a pretty lean cast. Which I think comes from the idea of well, we have to balance this some way, so we have this dark future area where you have you know nothing but mutants doing mutant stuff mixed with a very focused plot line that's a race against the clock that only involves so many characters. I think that's it, is it the best way to do it? I don't know because you know I don't know what the better version of this might be, but I can see where they're coming from and why they did it the way they did it. Sure. Yeah, I had mixed feelings about that too, Russ. I I liked um, how how much more space there was to explore these characters because you didn't have as many characters. And at the same time, I thought the past was a little bit of a all boys club and it would have been nice yeah. to, to see a little bit more female characters there, especially since first class had, had a pretty diverse cast. Um, yeah. And since, you know, I, I think it, it worked again to have this more of a Wolverine centered 
But since you're kicking out Katie Pride from that main role of the story, it would have been nice to have a little bit more diversity in that past cast. Speaking of Wolverine, yeah. something I really enjoyed, he doesn't do every, he doesn't save the day. Like yes. he's not yes. the one that yes. he's not the only one that can stop him. Like Wolverine, yes. he's our audience surrogate, which makes a lot of sense. And I like I I was actually surprised at how not upset I was that Wolverine was the one set back in time <laughs> because of the reasoning behind it, which made a ton of sense to me. It's like, all right, I can yeah, you did a good job there. But once we get him there, he's really just there to kind of guide us to where we need to be. But after that, he kind of sits in the saddle while everyone else is do is talking about the things that are really important and dealing with the things that are really important without having him be like, well, I have claws, so that solves every problem. Like, that wasn't the case in this movie. <laughs> yeah. He was the, it was the least Wolverine of the Wolverine appearances. I mean, he, he let his character shine and not his abilities. And trust me, I love X2. I mean, one of the greatest things of X2 is him going crazy yeah. in yes. the mansion, that yeah. whole scene. So yeah, it was right. awesome. Um, and then, of course, the, I, I, I was really high on the Wolverine, too, but it was kind of nice to see that they could use him as a character and not as, as just a, a, you know, a blunt instrument yeah, or a sharp he, instrument. And he, yeah, sword. right. And, 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 and he and didn't he, have all of the, the, the funny lines, too. It was nice to see that more serious Wolverine that was kind of fulfilling this one role in the story, but we had a lot of humor elsewhere, and right. he wasn't the only comic relief. And Hugh Jackman just, he works, and it's like, it's an old shoe to him at this point, but he treats it with respect. Yeah. Like, you can see Absolutely. that he cares about playing this character, and he wants to, you know, give it what he's got. And my God, does he, like, look just crazy buff in this movie. He's, like, he's pretty yeah. buff. Yeah. <laughs> like he like wakes up. When he wakes, wakes up in, with, yeah, when he wakes up in the 70s, he's like, dude, is that, is that real? That's his younger body, all right? <laughs> yeah. It looks so three-dimensional. I can, like, see, like... <laughs> oh, so, Aaron, on, on your guys' uh, X-Men commentary, you kept talking about how young everyone looks. So I was inspired by that, ended up actually watching, rewatching the movie. And Hugh Jackman is not nearly yeah. as buff in X-Men oh, 1 right. as he is in any of these recent films like he, yeah, this guy yeah. is like ripped yeah in yeah the first X-Men he just looks like a little he looks like a little guy in that movie <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Toad is more buff than <laughs> I think X2 is where that started I think that was the the one where he just really poured it on yeah for, yeah that's where he really started to get it like i'm gonna get in just amazing shape every time out for this movie yeah. yeah yeah and he's a lot leaner like i think in the wolverine in this one he's i mean he's in great shape but he's leaner like i think in x2 and even x-men origins wolverine, wolverine was, looks ridiculous it, well, it was, makes sense for that kind of movie because it's like an yeah. muscle bound action movie but well you know what's hilarious is when aronofsky was originally going to direct the wolverine mm -hmm. he wanted him to add 10 more pounds of muscle from wow. origins yeah, you wanted to look like comic Wolverine, just kind of this yeah. this brute. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and as the Wolverine was finishing filming, and Hugh Jackman had all these plans to eat pancakes and fried chicken, Brian Singer called him up and said, "Stay in shape because we're going to start doing Days of Future Past, and you're in it." And Hugh Jackman was just like, "Oh, f me, <laughs> <laughs> bub. I just want a carb. I just want one carb." Yeah. All right, so unless we want to talk about the very intense, dramatic arc involving Halle Berry's storm in this movie, I think we can move on to our ratings. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's rate this movie. Um, uh, when should people see X-Men Days of Future Past, Ali? Uh, well, you know, I want to... It, it's not necessary... If you're a fan, you got to go see it right now. Um, if you're a fan and if you haven't seen it right yet, 
you are not a fan. <laughs> um, so if, if you have any interest in, in the X-Men series or if you like Superman or superhero films, you got to go see this now. But it's not one of those films like Godzilla where I think it really does paint this large canvas on the big screen. So if you're not a fan, I'd say wait until it comes out on on, uh, on rental or, or DVD or Blu-ray and, and check it out then. Russ? I say yesterday. Um, All right. I, I just, I like yeah. I uh, It's... To me, it's top notch. I mean, like I said, uh, X two I hold very, very dear to my heart. I think it's it's one of the most perfect superhero movies of all time. And for this one to be questioning whether or not it can supersede it, I think I think says a lot. And I, I think I think it's just another example of one of those superhero movies that functions as a good movie if you take the superhero aspects out of it. I mean, if you just made this like yeah. a kooky time travel kind of movie. I think it works and I think it's, it's well directed. I think it's well scored. I think it's, it's brilliantly acted in a lot of places. Uh, the effects are, are, are pretty well done and they're not, it's not completely over the top. Like I didn't, I mean, there's a ton of CG work in this, but I didn't get the feeling that it was just like a CG fest. And I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah, one of the things we just real quick, I don't want to digress too much, but we didn't talk about was there's a really cool filming technique in this because it takes place in the 70s. So anything captured from either news uh, cameras or yeah. just just like eight, you know, people with eight millimeter on the street, right. they actually switch, you know, when you get the four by three aspect with the kind of grainy film quality yeah. and the low, you know, low resolution and stuff. Still and in 3D. Really, Still in 3D. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I like your films back then, man. Yeah, but it was a really cool technique, I thought. Yep. I definitely would say that if you are a fan, you should go out and see it almost immediately. But me personally, I think that you could wait a couple of weeks, probably catch it at like a dollar theater. I think it's fun. I mean, as, as issues I have aside, I mean, I think it's a movie that's worth seeing in a theater. Like, it's, it's certainly, you know, it's gonna, you're, you'll, you'll benefit from seeing a movie like this on the big screen with a bunch of fans that are likely in the audience with you. As long as it's not like seven-year-olds are like, oh my god, Sentinels! But um, <laughs> no, it's like it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of clear fun. I would say, as much as I like Godzilla, and I do, and I'll keep talking about it also. <laughs> but um, it's I, th- I think the movie is a lot Thanks. of fun to have. Well, and it's also if you're a fan of science fiction and you like those fix in the future movies, whether it's Back to the Future or Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home or um, any of those kind of things, I, I think this fits in nicely with that subgenre. Um, and I think it's going to become one of those uh, classic time travel movies. All right, so with that out of the way, let's do a little movie callback. Callback, callback, callback. This is where we mention a few films that we might have thought of during or after said movie we just talked about. With that said, Abe, any uh, callbacks? Certainly just a lot of the other films in this series, um, Days of Future, or I'm sorry, uh, Origins and, and X3. Russell, any uh, other movies? Uh, you kind of said it earlier. I, I just, you know, there's two things because of the whole time travel thing that that I just thought of. And one was the Abrams Star Trek and the other was back to the future. And, you know, just that I thought the time travel part of this worked really well. You didn't have in this case, a crazy like technology wonk to get it to happen. You know, it, it, I mean, you know, you can, you know, you can talk about, you know, Kitty pride and whether that was, you know, a little contrived with how her powers were able to, to get her to do that. But, uh, I just I just thought it, it worked well. You know, there was the, they explained it well. Um, you know, and the repercussions were there uh, in real, and it and it it worked for me. Ali, 
I kind of spoiled some of the ones yeah, I, I, I know, yeah. <laughs> My bad. Um, I, I, it reminded me of Terminator. I, I think that some of the aesthetic of the future was reminiscent of that. Um, I know Brian Singer's a Star Trek fan, and he had that nice little Star Trek reference um, in this film, and it reminded me a little bit of Star Trek First Contact. Um, and, you know, it's Back to the Future, Looper, a lot of those sci-fi films. Yeah, definitely Terminator from Terminator 2 for me. Uh, Mystery Men came to mind, actually. Just cause look Man. at all these flashiness. <laughs> Mystery Men, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back to the Future, the first X-Men, and The Matrix, because there's a lot of slow-mo in this movie. Brian Singer is using the yeah. slow He's cranking it up with the slow-mo in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very cool scenes, though. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. the action's tremendous in the movie. We didn't talk anything about Blink, but I think... Oh, I was just going to say, oh, yeah. She's playing Blink was awesome. Life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's an example of a character where, like, I need to know nothing about this person except that she does this thing but and she, she makes it work. Right, yeah. Well, in the in the Quicksilver stuff, the slow mo yeah. there, it was done in a very humorous way. Like we haven't seen slow mo yes. done in a funny way before, really. In that kind of for you know something like that, that's very significant to the plotting of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's move on now. Let's get to our our sponsor for the week. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download. If you go to audibletrial.com slash podcast, there are over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 device. For the listeners of Out Now, Theron, and Abe, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Abe, do you have a book to recommend? I do. It's called Superheroes, Capes, Cows, and the Creation of Convict Culture. And this is a companion piece to a PBS documentary of the same name. But it essentially just goes through a lot of different ages of the comic book franchise, from uh, the Gold Age to the Silver Age to even the 21st century, in which uh, and how com- comics and comic books have played a particular role in American uh, pop culture as well as just mainstream society. That is just one of the many books that you can download at audibletrial.com. So shout out podcast. You can get that book for free. Then check out their service for a month. If you don't like the service, you can get rid of it. But you can still get to keep the book that you downloaded for free and keep it forever. So there you go. Yeah, it's a 10-hour book. It's a deal. <laughs> it's a 10-hour book. It's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That out of the way. Let's do a lot now. Feedback. 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 This is where we, of course, go over some of the various questions that we re- answers and questions that we received on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to read through from uh, various responses from our listeners. And you guys, Ali and Russell, feel free to you know respond if you want to as well. Uh, here's the first question. Favorite mutants, which we might have asked before. I just don't remember. So here's here we go. Uh, Jim has Henry, Henry McCoy, a.k.a. The Beast. James Conner has... Namor, Namor, the first mutant and favorite a-hole in comics. <laughs> Jack Mar- Jack has Fomke, uh, er, I mean, Jean Grey. Uh, Dennis has minds a six-way tie between Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, Wolverine, and Multiple Man. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty good. That's good. Danny Multiple has- Man Frida. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Danny has Wolverine by far. Bishop and Cable are also awesome. Joshua has Blink in the movieverse. George has Blink. I hear she's effing amazing in the movie. Ryan has Donatello. Uh, Frankie has Quicksilver stole the show in Days of Future Past, possibly a new fave. Jason has four-way tie between Wolverine, Magneto, Professor X, and Deadpool. April has Mystique. Jason has George... Jason says again, George should have known not to blink. <laughs> Maybe that. Uh, Tyler has Angel. We have a lot in common. Uh, Mike Jones has Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott has Aaron Newworth will always be my favorite. Aww. So, there we go. <laughs> Russ, what, what's your favorite mutant, Russ? Uh, it's, it, it sounds a little cliche, but it's Wolverine. And, uh, I mean, I go back to, you know, early 80s, 
you know, as with my with my love for that character. So I was I was kind of a, a huge Wolverine fan before it be you know before he became a member of every uh, you know comic book team and the star of every X Men movie since then. Ali, you have a favorite? It's obviously Professor X, right? Because he's a psychologist. Well, he's he's got the power I would want. If I could have one power, that would be it. Um, make my job a heck of a lot easier. Um, Gambit. It's always been Gambit, and um, uh, there's rumors that he might be in the next film, so we'll see. Um, Danny Tatum's supposed to play him. Yeah, we'll see how that works out. I think it could work, because he does have that kind of suaveness stuff, maybe. Um, But I just always thought he was an interesting character, and he brought kind of that New Orleans kind of culture into it, and he was a nice sort of... um, he had a nice, interesting relationship with Wolverine, so um, Gambit. Our next question is, uh, what is your dream casting choice for old or new X-Men characters? And uh, Bob writes, Sam Rockwell as Deadpool, which would be actually kind of apt because Deadpool is kind of a character, and Sam Rockwell, he dances a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'd love it. I'd see that for sure. I could see that. I could see that too, yeah. Christopher writes, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Emma Stone. <laughs> Emma Stone, our favorite mutant, Emma Stone. Oh yeah. my god! Every time, everywhere Emma Stone goes, I'm like, man, the mutant stuff that she's up Did to is crazy. Did you guys watch out for Emma Stone? Oh my gosh! Uh, the tablets are going crazy in the Marvel universe. We're having fun, Christopher, because you wrote Emma Stone. It's all right. <laughs> we know you mean Emma Frost. Emma Frost. Yeah. Uh, Adam writes uh, Jensen Eccles for Cyclops and Ari Grainer for Emma Frost. I can actually see that one. Uh, Christopher writes Scott Adkins and Johnny Knoxville for Deadpool. Both of them. I think uh, the body of Scott Adkins and yeah. apparently the dry southern wit of Johnny Knoxville for Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> Adkins is already playing Deadpool once. Yeah, he was Deadpool in the Origins, yeah. In body mode. I don't yes. know if it was Ryan Reynolds' eyes or not, but whatever. <laughs> it's his Canadianness. Jason writes uh, Stephen Lang for Cable, Ron Perlman for Omega Red. Hmm. And then the next question, or do you guys have any responses to that uh, in terms of dream casting or dream casting for? Uh, X-Men characters. Any Sega Dreamcasting for X-Men? Um, let me think. I'd like to see Brian Cranston play an evil Professor X. <laughs> Dark Professor X. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to play evil goatee so he's on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want your future. <laughs> he's got he's to enunciate everything. Yeah. <laughs> if there was a, a mutant named Typhoon, it'd be, it'd be over. If we go in the Wayback Machine, we can still put Angela Bassett as Storm again. That uh, would be... That would be pretty good. If we go back yeah, to like 1995, yeah. like we can make that work. Uh, the next question we had is, uh, what do you think of Wolverine's favorite bands are? Scott writes, Howlin' Wolf. Pretty <laughs> clever there. Mark writes, uh, Wolverine, Rage Against the Machine. There you go. I like that. Mm. And Bob writes, Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> California Girls. You know. yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he, they, do always, they always had those summer episodes uh, in the trading card series. Last uh, question here. What ongoing franchise would you like to see studios hit the reset button on? Nippon uh, writes, Transformers, get the F out with all that cluttered mess and show us blocky robots. Um <laughs> Vern uh, adds uh, the Happy Hooker series or Police Academy. Police <laughs> Academy. Uh, James adds, uh, how long ago can the last movie have come out to be considered ongoing? I'll say Ghost Rider, but I'd like to go further back. Uh, Dennis has not a hard reset or reboot, but out now with Aaron and Abe. Ouch. That was maybe last. And Mike has, I don't care, but for God's sake, wish they would drop the reboot term. A remake is a remake. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Taking up issue with the, with the term there. 
Yeah. Then we met some questions here. Uh, Danny, and feel free to answer Russell and, and uh, Ali. We're probably going to point to you guys here directly as well. What do you guys think about Marvel losing Edgar Wright and Drew Goddard? The short answer is it kind of sucks. But uh. let, let me take you on. A, let me take you on a little out now history lesson here, um, for Abe's sake. <laughs> um, so Edgar, so Edgar Wright dropped out of Ant Man. That was the news on Friday, mm-hmm. and then Drew Goddard brought, uh, dropped out of being a part of the Daredevil Netflix TV series on uh, Saturday, which led people to ask, "What's going on with Marvel?" To jump back like a few bits here, Edgar Wright's been involved with Ant Man since 2006. Um, during Comic Con, the announcement that John Favreau was making Iron Man, there was also the announcement that Ed, Edgar Wright would be making Ant Man. Things obviously escalated for one and not the other, and Ant-Man's been sitting around for a long time, and he's, and he's you know, just now starting to really get it going with having various cast members and people announced. And now we've learned that Edgar Wright's gone. I mentioned earlier that Matthew Vaughn directing Secret Service was the main interest I had in seeing Secret Service, basically. Edgar Wright directing Ant-Man was the main interest I had in, in seeing Ant-Man. I love Edgar Wright. I, don't, I, I, I think he makes terrific movies. The fact that he's not directing Ant-Man anymore, it doesn't make me think, oh, God, this movie's going to suck now. But at the same time, it does take away a lot of the like vested interest I had in just a director being involved with a certain property. Will Edgar Wright make other movies that are probably amazing? Sure. Will Marvel probably turn out a movie that's very entertaining? Sure. That's what Marvel's been doing for the past, like, you know, since 2008. So Great. I'm not, like, I'm not terribly, like, horrified at the prospect of an Ant-Man movie without Edgar Wright. It's unfortunate, yes, but, you know... Whatever the reasons are, which likely come down to, I want to do it one way and they want to do it another way. I mean, if that means that he's going to do something his own way and make his own movie that he wants to make, good, yeah. If Marvel yeah. makes a movie that's about Ant-Man that doesn't lose its integrity because they had a different director at the helm, that's great. If it doesn't, that's too bad. We'll see the next Marvel movie and worry about it then. So that, that's where I stand on that. Drew Goddard, it's more like, he's because he's doing he was doing Daredevil, the TV series. Uh, for Netflix, Netflix, and, he, and right. he's also doing. He's also in charge of the Sinister Six movie and what all that stuff with the Spider-Man stuff. I think it comes down to I have a lot of things on my plate. I need to choose one or the other, and that's where I think that comes from. That's Drew Goddard, of course. He's the director of uh, Cabin in the Woods and co-writer with Joss Whedon. I can't say I was as, as vested in Drew Goddard directing the Daredevil TV series as I was in Edgar Wright <laughs> directing Ant-Man. But with him passing on it, all right, they've already named a successor. It's a guy that he's worked with plenty of times on um, another Whedon stuff. Like, it's not, like, the end of the world for me, because I just honestly don't, like, have too much vested interest in, like, oh, man, I can't wait for this Daredevil TV series. But, you know, things happen, so we'll see where it goes. Mm. That's where I stand. That's where I stand on it. Russell? Um, I'm definitely bummed about both of them. Uh, And the Edgar Wright thing, I I, I think I'd be a lot more bummed about the Edgar Wright thing on Ant-Man if they were doing the Eric O'Grady irredeemable Ant-Man. Like, if that's truly the direction they were going in, I think... I think switching gears off of Edgar Wright would be, you know, a, a bigger mistake and maybe a bigger risk for somebody else coming in because I think he would have gotten that humor and sensibility down. Being that it's Scott Lang and they're incorporating Hank Pym into it, I, I'm I'm a little less concerned about it. I mean, I, I I'm kind of like Aaron. I, I enjoy Edgar Wright. I like what he does. Um, I like his movies. The, the one thing it seems like with him is he he tends to take his time. So I wonder if maybe that was just some kind of a like, I mean, Marvel runs, it seems like it runs a pretty tight ship and Edgar Wright kind of, it seems like a guy that works at his own pace. So I don't know if maybe that had any play into it. Um, I, I would think at, by now, if it was a, a serious issue with either script or tone or something like that, that that would have been hashed out before now. But there's a lot of rumors who, running around right now, which I'm sure will come out more in the open soon. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's, yeah, I, I, I'm aware as you are, Russ, that yeah, Edgar Wright does take, his own time, but with that said, it's been since 2006 that he's been working on this thing. <laughs> right, right. Um, the Goddard thing, 
I think it I think it was more a win that he was doing it than it is a huge loss that he's not. And you know, because he's kind of in that Whedon circle and they found somebody that uh was close to him to replace him, I think it'll be okay. I just I, I I've said it before, I have one hope for all the, the Marvel Netflix stuff and that it all takes place in the seventies. That would yeah. just make yeah. like make me so happy uh to see that, you know, they were because I think it could truly capture the grim and grittiness of Hell's Kitchen because Hell's yeah. Kitchen in 2014 is not the same as Hell's Kitchen in no. 1975 or 1978 <laughs> or even 1983. So, uh, so I'll be curious to see, you know, what they, what they go. I'm more, I'm more, I'm more concerned about the Netflix stuff based on overall tone and what they're doing overall than at this point, individual personalities. Yeah. And Ali. Well, I think Aaron sort of said it all there. Um, I, I would have been really interested. I, I care much more about the Edgar Wright um, decision, uh, not because I care less about the other uh, the Daredevil series in development, but Edgar Wright's just made some films that I just really love. I love Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I love Shaun of the Dead, and he just seemed to really have a, a passion for this project. So it, it's too bad because it would have been nice to see what his Ant-Man would have been like. That being said, um, Marvel Studios has a um, fantastic history of having um, the right cast members uh, or the right actors uh, in the cast, the right producers, the right writers. So um, I have faith that Ant-Man will still be interesting. It just will be a little bit less interesting because Edgar Wright is not involved. The good news is that the, the Tree Man Raccoon movie still seems to be moving just fine. So yes! I think we, we have that on. <laughs> <laughs> so happy about that spin-off. Move on to the next uh, question. Uh, Jason asks, do you think we will ever get a proper live-action telling of the Phoenix storyline in the X-Men films? I don't. At I this don't point, think so. I, I have no, no. reason. I, I mean, nope. it have, like have to be like 50 years from now if they're like, let's make another X-Men movie, guys. And they're like, oh, we should do that Phoenix story. We can do it right this time. Like, that's the only possibility I can see. Yeah, not saying that it's never going to happen, but I, I don't think with the direction that they're going with this X-Men franchise, probably not. It's pretty interesting, with especially with Dark Phoenix and whatever else, and if you move into later iterations of the X-Men uh, franchise, but not really. It was nice to hear uh, uh, screenwriter Simon Kinberg saying, um, yeah, we... Um we kind of messed up on uh, the Phoenix Saga, so Days of Future Past is our attempt to sort of fix that. So I think there's some some ownership of it, but I think if you want to see that uh, done well, go back and look at the X-Men animated series. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for, yeah, for yes. real. Stephen handles the Days of Future Past stuff pretty well, too, even though I, yeah, dis- yes. I really dislike Bishop, and um, I was very happy with his performance at the movie. <laughs> yeah, he, had two, he had two lines. They were good ones. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh! That was one of his lines. I, I, I mean, Bishop, it's more of just the animated series because he's just always so, like, angsty and like, oh, we got to stop the traitor. Like, it's just yeah. so, like, come on. <laughs> Harmonica music plays when he's going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, Bishop always reminds me, he, Bishop is like is like a Murtaugh in the future from Lethal Weapon. That's, that's Bishop to me. <laughs> yes. It's kind of the sad, sag mutant that's like, I got to go back in time. I'm getting too sad, old. Sad, sag mutant. I always felt like he was like a little demented, like he was always a little confused yeah. where he is, what he's doing, and yeah, it was it was kind of sad. Uh, the next question we have is, uh, with all the Marvel movies, Netflix deals, TV deals, how exactly is DC slash Warner Brothers expect to keep up and provide any solid competition? That question's from Izzy. Um, yes. I mean, we got the big announcement, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. So oh my v. goodness. V, Aaron. Sorry. Batman V. <laughs> Batman, sorry, B, Batman V, Superman. Thank Dawn you. Dawn of Justice. So, I mean, Colon, Aaron. 
Colon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Let me back up again. Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. There we go. I got it? I got it right? You got it. Okay. Nicely done. So, I mean, in all seriousness, I have no idea. Um, I, I've, I've said this many times, I think, but I feel like Mar- as Marvel has this kind of whiteboard full of great ideas and where they're going and clever maps and things, I think DC has this kind of like post-it note carrier service where they're like, here, guys, here's the next one. Like, they don't seem to like have like a real idea of what we should exactly be doing. I mean, I can only wish them the best because why would I want to see a bad movie versus a good movie? But I don't, I don't know. Like, they seem to, I mean, it's not like any of them are short of money. It's like, not, yeah. not like any of them are breaking the bank here. Like, they're all making tons of money. And, like, D- DC, the, the only thing they've only really done successfully on a consistent basis is their animated features. Like, those seem to be, they turn yeah, those which out. They're amazing. Amazing. Yeah, they're constantly, they're very good. Yeah, very good to amazing. I agree. So, I mean, that's, that's the end, let alone the WB, the C, sorry, W, this, that's 10 years ago. The CW series, like Arrow and now this Flash series, like, that stuff seems to be working fine for them. Right. Um, I, and I know, I obviously know that a lot of people like Man of Steel more than some of us do. Um, so, I mean, I guess there's hope. Everything I've seen out of Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice <laughs> looks good so far. <laughs> I like the image of Batman that I've seen. I like the, the casting announcements and stuff. So I just hope that it works out and it leads to some apparently a Justice movie next. And I right. hope it works out without having me think about how they wasted the chance to have spinoff or you know solo movies before they went into this giant one thing. So. As a kid, I was more partial to the Marvel Universe than the DC Universe, so I really have, you know, my team is winning right now, basically, so. I agree with you, Abe. I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, I will say, though, uh, uh, it, it seems like there's, like, a bit of a Cold War happening between all these studios. You got the Spider-Man sort of story kind of going into the Sinister Six. You've got the X-Men franchise kind of relaunched here. Um, and now the Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I just, I hope they all the franchises do take their time and don't try to, to represent replicate the success of the Avengers artificially. You know, the Avengers worked because they did take time to develop these characters and to put the right teams in place. So I, I just hope, but I have hope. I have hope. I liked seeing, uh, seeing the new uh, Batmobile and I liked seeing the new um, Batman Batman. design. Yeah. It it's looked fun. very dark Knight returns. It's fun. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's funny that you mentioned um, kind of the time that they're taking on these because X, the X, like Fox is much as they, you know, are making money off these X-Men movies. They're not necessarily their bread and butter, and it seems like they do like having a good time in between these films taken, which is why someone like we talked about this in the commentary, but like which is why someone like Hugh Jackman's able to become not just Wolverine, even though that's what he'll be remembered for largely, but he's become you know a major movie star that's had many yeah. different things. He's been Oscar nominated. He's done all these different things. He's had time in between these movies to really right. grow as an actor. Same with Jennifer Tony, Lawrence for that Tony matter. Tony Award winning. Tony Award winning. Yeah, yeah. He's, yep. he's he's almost an EGOT winner, guys. Like he's, <laughs> he's, not, <laughs> he's getting the recognition. He just needs to win those awards. So I mean, it's yeah. I mean, there's. Some of them are the Marvels. Obviously, you know they have a movie. They have at least one movie a year. This year they're gonna have two movies a year, and some same with next year, I think. Um, do they have? Any? They have what? Avengers two and what else? Something else? Ant Man. What am I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Obviously, superheroes are a big thing. They make a lot of money, so their movies are gonna keep coming out. But I mean, they. I guess they are finding a way to control the speed at which they come out for certain that to a lot certain actors' time to do you know stuff they need to do in between. Some studios, others are like, no, let's just keep this going. So. Uh, last question, completely off the uh, the deep end here. 
Danny asks, what are your favorite westerns? Mine is Tombstone, <laughs> followed by Pretend to Yuma and the True Grit remake. I just like this question. It's like, it's a good oh, question. That's so, so out of nowhere. I like it. Uh, yeah, he says Tombstone's in his top five movies of all time. Um, I'll go because I just I was thinking about this question a lot because I saw it. I talked about how much I love Unforgiven, which is even an anti-western more than an actual western. Good, the bad, and the ugly obviously comes to mind. Um, the the Wild Bunch. I really like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I really like the three ten. I like both versions of Three Ten to Yuma, but the remake is what I consider a near perfect movie as far as westerns go for what it's trying to do. I think everything about that movie is terrific. And uh, there's one that I'm missing that I'm going to be upset with myself later for not pointing out, but I'll just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, big fan of uh, Unforgiven as well, and I, I do love the uh, the Unforgiven, or I'm sorry, um, uh, True Grit with Jeff Van. Oh, True Grit. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, I especially like that one Star Trek episode where they use the uh, what do call it room to go into that western. The transporter room. No, it's yeah. The holodeck. Holodeck. Oh, the holodeck. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. fistful of datas, I believe. Is, the is, that, what, is that really what it's Of course called? it'd be called that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where everything starts malfunctioning and all the characters turn into data. And there's like the sexy lady data. And then there's the <laughs> like tobacco chewing data. Um, if not that, there's there's a ton of times to go back to the Westerns. They're like, hey, hey, we ran out of money. Let's just use the Western lot on, on Paramount <laughs> Studios. And yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Silverado. All right. Um, Silverado, like you said, Aaron, Butch Cassidy. The Wild Bunch. I love The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Um, a lot of slow motion in that movie. Yes. That's it. That's just yes. Peckinpah style. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, the, the Spaghetti Western trilogy, the the Man With No Name trilogy from Sergio Leone. The, all of, I love all that stuff. I thought of it. The uh, the Proposition with Guy Pierce, the Australian Western from 2007, oh. which is incredibly dark but incredibly good. Really love that movie. And then I really like Real Bravo and Real Lobo, which yeah. are like the yeah. two... You know, they're basically the same movie. One was James Caan, and the other one was with uh, with uh, was it Ricky Ricky Oz, uh, Ricky Nelson? There you go, Ricky Schroeder for a second. Oh, yeah. and the Searchers. That's what I'm thinking. Of. The Searchers, like how ah, that's yeah. the Searchers. <laughs> searchers, yes. Okay. You guys mentioned all the good ones, but in keeping with today's uh, film, Days of Future Past, I'm gonna go have to go with Back to the Future Three. Ah, why didn't I mention that? I love that series. Uh, I almost thought you were gonna mention Serenity for a second there. Get oh, that, the that would have been so much better. Going, okay, okay. Yeah. I take that back. Firefly. <laughs> all right. So with all that said, those that's our those are our questions, and thank you every, everybody, all the listeners for answering and supplying questions for us to answer on this show. Let's uh let's move on. What uh oh, what? Aaron, oh my God, what 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 time is it, Abe? What 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 time? Games what time? Here. Yeah. Is that for games? Mm, future past. That was delicious. Thank you, Abe. Do you have a game for us this week? Yes, I do. It's a game called Not So Excellent Questions with an X hyphen salent. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> hyphen salent. Got it. Yeah. So these are all questions related to the X-Men universe. Um, they're not so great, but hey, let's give it a shot because you guys are uh, X-Men aficionados. Um, so so will, will we need to buzz in? Yes, you will need to buzz in by saying your name and then you can say the answer. Some of these are multiple part answers. Here we go. Only six of these. What is Cyclops' brother's name, and what group is he affiliated with? Russell. Also with an X. Russell. Alex Summers and X-Factor. For a bonus point, what's his character's name? Havoc. There you go. Wow, that was, that was Russell's good. Russell's on the board. Yeah, Russell's on the board. Next question. One of Wolverine's arch foes has a name similar to this fatty acid. You often hear it as... Aaron? 
Aaron. Uh, Omega Red? That is correct. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> nice. What were, you, oh. what were you thinking of? Omega 3 fatty acids. Okay, yeah. Fish oil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was good. I was, there's like three of them. I'm narrowing it down between. It's like, <laughs> that one sounds right. <laughs> Next one. Nightcrawler has affiliations with this British mutant group. Russell. Russell. Excalibur. That is correct. These are good questions, Abe. You yeah, shouldn't tell yourself so short. <laughs> Next question. Wolverine's Japanese girlfriend was named... Russell. Uh, Russell. Mariko. That is correct. Do you know her last name? Lopez. Yoshida. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Russell here with the steel hair. Oh, it wasn't Lopez. <laughs> no, it's not Lopez. It is Yoshida. That's correct. Next one here. Name the original X-Men team. There are five. Aaron. Russell. Aaron. Oh, oh. Um, Got to get all these. Gene. Mm-hmm. Scott. Mm-hmm. Scott Summer Cyclops. Um, Hank. Hank. Angel. Angel. And Bobby Drake, Iceman. That is correct. Do you know Angel's name? Yeah, uh, Warren. There you go. All right. Warren you Worthington. Named, you named the everybody third. by their the real third. name except, the for, third. except for Angel. Warren Worthington the third. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last one. What comic and issue, if you know, did Wolverine first appear? Russell. Russell. Hulk 181. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Russell. wow. <laughs> wow. Obviously, Russell is the winner. So congratulations, I, Russell. I feel I may, may have slightly cheated because I've, I've out of my 6,000 comic books, I think pretty close to 3,000 of them are either X-Men or X-Men related. So. What can I say? I, I don't think that's cheating. That's no. <laughs> doing your homework, dude. Yeah. yeah. So that was not so excellent questions. Those are pretty good questions. I, I was happy. With good questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, those are good. Ali may have not gotten on the board this time around, but I liked his enthusiasm enough where I will invite him back to the podcast I, eventually. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I was really disappointed in not getting the Omega Red question right. That was. <laughs> I, I should have gotten that one. But I appreciate your uh, your welcomeness for sure. Let's uh, move on to Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, DVD, or streaming this week. And not a lot of, like, super, like, high-profile new ones, but a lot of ones that I, I want to read out loud because some of these are really good. Some of these are like, hey, that's cool. Uh, first up, The Life Aquatic comes out on Blu-ray Criterion. I love I The Life that Aquatic. Movie. That is my favorite Wes Anderson movie, that's so I'm super excited about getting this on Your Blu-ray. favorite? Wow. It is. Wow. Yeah, that's a good movie. Sue me. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like, I like it a lot, too. I think that there, that one's, like, one of the, his movies that didn't get as much love, but... I loved, I liked it a lot. Um, Sleepaway Camp hits um, Scream Factory Blu-ray. I think, uh, actually, friend of the show, Brandon Peters, has actually reviewed this Blu-ray for Blyso Blue. Uh, but Sleepaway Camp is a kind of cult classic horror movie that is incredibly weird based on the twist. Uh, app, right? Yeah, with a terrible twist. <laughs> so uh, that one comes out from Blu-ray this week. Endless Love, that's the only like, major new release that came out this week <laughs> in terms of like yeah. a movie that was from this year. <laughs> Cheap Thrills. I really like this movie, Cheap Thrills. I saw it um, in theaters a couple, uh, like a month and a half ago. Really good, really solid, uh, dark, dark comedy suspense movie that I will wholly recommend. Friend of the show, Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com is an airplane versus volcano with Superman himself, Dean Cain. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that hits Blu-ray this week. Airplane versus volcano, how low will it go? I assume is that, it's a tagline. Is that literally what the tagline is? I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, for Doctor Who fans, Doctor Who and Adventure in Space and Time hits Blu-ray this week. I have no Ooh. idea what that is. That's the one Doctor- that was played in movie theaters. Thank you. Maybe. I don't know. Thanks, Abe, for that confidence. <laughs> and lastly, Journey to the West, which is a Stephen Chow movie. 
I have not seen this, but I'm a huge fan of Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle, and even that other movie, uh, was it CJ13 or something like that? Mm. Uh, but I, I, uh, I really love uh, Stephen Chow, so I'm excited to check this one out. Journey to the West. Cool. So yeah, it's a handful of uh, Blu-rays coming out this week. And uh, let's move on to what we're going to talk about next week. I'm pretty sure Abe and I are going to discuss mainly Maleficent. We might talk about a million day- ways. To- I want to say a million days all the time. <laughs> a million ways to die in the Ever West as well. The to, uh... box office gamble episode. You've been saying a million days. Yeah. Ways? Days. Because it's because it's, it's edge of tomorrow for Western comedies. A million days. <laughs> have to you, die in the have West. you guys? Have you guys seen the most recent trailer for Many Ways to Die in the West? Um, Abe, yeah, we have. And I, I have. Abe is, Abe is more excited because of it, based on a certain gag that I think is being hinted at in just that sentence. But um, yeah, <laughs> there's. I won't. I won't even spoil it or even highly intimate it. But there's something they reveal at the end of that last trailer that I saw in the theater that I was really angry with. Like, I wish they would have not done that in the trailer because to go to the movie agree. theater and see that would have been I think people would have lost their their stuff because yeah. it, it was really funny. But I feel completely cheated by having seen it in the trailer. I like how this is and, like three weeks in a row now that we've like hinted at this thing that happened in this trailer. We're not saying <laughs> right. Aaron yeah. Fink did it too. <laughs> our, our main our main um our main logic here is um don't watch that trailer, I guess. Don't, yeah, don't watch <laughs> yeah. any more trailers for a million ways to die in the West. But but that said, I am looking forward to this movie. I was a huge fan of Ted and I look forward to what see what he does next. And yeah, I haven't seen many Western comedies. Like I I, I love Blazing Saddles. Back to the Future Part three? Are I think those... that's the only other one, yeah. Really, yeah. yeah. I mean that's more of an adventure movie than a western comedy i would say so. the villain the, the, the yes <laughs> you, villain um did you ever see the villain yeah i know the villain yeah it's like that's a yeah. that's a that's a, that's a pull right there. that's what that is <laughs> but yeah we we might talk about that with all that said we might talk about that movie uh but we will probably talk about maleficent because i think there's just more to talk about in terms of what that movie's doing than like hey that was funny so <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see and um yeah both sure to both sure to make some dough next weekend so we'll get there but um, I want to try a new thing, a new little segment, since we're oh. closing out the show here. It's a quick Ooh. one. It's a really quick one. It's um, what would you recommend people see in theaters now? Hmm. Um, and so I just want, if you guys had to choose one movie that you've seen recently that's in theaters now that you'd say, like, go see that, what would it be? Let's start with Russell. Well, Captain America the Winter Soldier is still technically in theaters, so I would I would recommend that. Because then there's to me, that. that that's, it's, yeah. won the, it's won the summer. All right. Ali? Oh, man. Um, uh, if... If you've already seen X-Men, go see Godzilla. It's beautiful on the big screen. Abe? Yeah. Captain America, Winter Soldier, hands down. I say Chef. John Favreau's Chef. I think well, that's absolutely terrific. There you go. Going, <laughs> going rogue. It keeps, hey, I, I made the segment, so I know, I know what I was doing. <laughs> but it cracked the top ten this weekend. That made me super happy. It's like, people are seeing Chef. <laughs> this makes me so happy. Um, and, and not many people saw Blended, which made me extra happy. That made me so happy, too. And here's X-Men making $90 million, and Blended made, like... I think that's, like, my number 10 of It is, summer. yeah. Yeah, Mark and Hoban and I were making funny on Twitter for it, um, for the summer wager. But, yeah, Blended, like, one of Adam Sandler's, like, worst openings ever. And it's like, as much as I like Happy Gilmore, I just don't need to see these new movies anymore. <laughs> so it made me happy. <laughs> I think they were trying to get you to buy tickets to see Blended by giving you a copy of The Wedding Singer or something. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. that was a thing. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I like Wedding Singer, but no. So with all that said, all that hateful talk, we have no need to have to go into. That's uh, going to do it for this week's episode about Now Theron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at ysoblue.com for all my Blu-ray reviews. And follow me on Twitter, at Aaron's PS4. Abe? 
You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag Parks and Rec Season 5. Ali? Uh, I am at Ali Matu on Twitter, and you can check out brainknowsbetter.com where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. And for more nerdery, uh, check out Super Fantastic Nerd Hour where we talk about all the awesome things that nerds love. Russell? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at rlatham, and uh, just head on over to hhwlod where you'll find out now and about... 30 other podcasts, it seems, that uh, I do some work in one fashion or another for. Awesome. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now, Theron and Abe on iTunes and at Stitcher, as well as HHWLOD, which Russell just mentioned. You can also find our episodes over at outnow.podomag.com. And we're tabling YouTube right now for just right now. We're not really sure what to do with it yet, but we do have SoundCloud, so you can check us out over at soundcloud.com slash outnowpodcast. You can also email us, outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on X-Men Days of Future Past or things in that related manner or anything you want to talk about on the old email page. You can also interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And lastly, follow us on Tumblr, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com, or use the voicemail line, 972-798-3830. Let us, uh, you know, send a message our way uh, via vocal activity. That's a fun way to phrase it. And uh, <laughs> people will play it on the show. I like it. I'm, sticking, I'm keeping it that Sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you, Russell and Ali, for joining us today to talk X-Men. Sure. Hey, thanks for having us. That was a, a blast. blast. For sure. We'd love to have you guys back at some point. And um, that's going to do it until next week when we either talk about Jolie and how she got her groove back or how Seth MacFarlane manages to make his way through the West. That's going to do it. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. It's your tarantula. <laughs> but the recording's still good. The tarantula, he's out. Like, I'm looking at him right now. He's out. <laughs> he's just in the room. He's just hanging out. <laughs> it's like home alone. He's just around the house somewhere. I don't keep him in the cage anymore. <laughs> he's just like, whatever. <laughs> He'll come when you call him. Oh, man, these classic tarantula outtakes i got to put at the end of the show this week. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Aaron, i got to get the door really quickly. Okay. Hang on. We'll all be here. Patience is in my strongest suit. You got it. Wow. <laughs> Let's all do our McAvoy. I don't want your future. (laughs) Did you have some of the dribble coming out of your mouth? I was just going to ask him if he was spitting while he said that. (laughs) All right, that's it. Perfect. That's it. That's all there is.